And so a few weeks ago, we started this series that we've titled Identity. And uh, what we're thinking about and considering is uh, really the mission and vision of the city church. What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus in this time and place, um, and not just as individuals, but as a community? What does it mean for us as the city church to be in Springfield in this time um, to fulfill uh, what it is that God has for us, um, both, again, as individuals, but really even more specifically as a community of Jesus followers? And so we've been walking through our, our mission statement, which is uh, pretty simple, actually. Actually, it's just three phrases. Uh, the first is revealing Christ. And so in that first week, we, we talked about what it means and looks like for us uh, to take part in revealing Jesus for all of who he is and what he's about. And so we talked primarily about his identity and his work and uh, then how it is that we put that on display. Then we talked about uh, reconciling people is the second phrase, which has to do with the new humanity that Jesus entered into this broken world and on the cross to reconcile all people to himself. And so what does it look like for us to take part in breaking down the walls that keep people separated? and bringing forth this new humanity. And then last week, we looked at what it means to be renewing our city. And uh, that was a a bit more of a preachy kind of sermon as we get the opportunity to be engaged in this world um, where we get to bring the beauty and goodness out of where there is brokenness and darkness and how God is restoring all things and he's using us to do it. And so now we're getting into a lot more of the practical stuff. That was like big theology, philosophy kind of stuff. Um, Now we're digging into the more specifics, the details, the practicality of what it actually means and looks like. And so today we're going to look into what it means to be the church. Like there's a, a theological term called ecclesiology where we're questioning like what is the church what is it really all about and so today we're going to be in Ephesians 4 Um, it's a really dense passage of scripture there's a lot in here Um, there's so much to be said about what the church is and if you were to study the church I mean books and books are written on what the church is and what the church is about Um, I think if you were to read through the New Testament you could find all sorts of great passages and statements about the church Um, and so we'll refer to some of those but this particular passage has a ton just right in it in itself and so today's going to be a little bit different than most of the sermons that I preach. Um, Usually I try to really weave a a thread through the entire thing and kind of bookend it so that we're we're all on the same page. But there's so much to be said that today it might seem more like a series of single ideas. Um, My hope is to weave some kind of thread through, but we'll see what happens. Um, That said, it's going to be a bit more teachy than preachy. We're going to be dissecting some some pretty big ideas here. And so if you have a Bible, uh, let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 16. Then I will pray um, and give you an outline as to where we're going. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, 
Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul's quite the writer, huh? I know. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to get into your scriptures and to be uh, reminded of your goodness, of your grace, of your love, especially through your son, through his, his willingness to come, his willingness to lay down his life, and especially grateful for his resurrection and the knowledge now that we, um, we are a part of your kingdom for sure. It is sealed, it is secure. And we're grateful for your spirit who leads and guides in truth, and we ask that this morning you would do that. Help us, God, to be more conformed to the image of your son by your spirit, for we ask in his most matchless, his most precious name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. I'm kind of curious if, uh, if you were to, um, I don't know, be confronted by somebody on the street or maybe even somebody at work, maybe a family member, a friend, and they just ask you this simple question. They say, what's your church like? If somebody were to ask you that, how might you respond? I, uh, certainly there's some, some adjectives that come to mind, some descriptors where you might talk about maybe you know, the building itself and the way that it looks or where it's located. You might talk about the first floor, how it used to be a bar or like up here and, and just the way that it looks. Like you, might, you might use those kinds of words. You might talk about maybe this event itself, right? And you talk about maybe how it is that people are welcoming as you, as you enter in or the parking's a little strange because we're in downtown or you might talk about the, the coffee on certain Sundays. It's fantastic. Others, Anthony made it and it's not so good. Um, you might talk about maybe the music, and you might say how amazing it is, and you might talk about the preaching and how terrible it is. I don't know, but when somebody asks you, like, what is your church like? What comes to mind? That's good. What is it like? How would you describe it? And some of us, we might talk more about the building, right? The, the space. Some of us might talk more about the event. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's where most of our minds go when somebody asks us, what is your church like? I'm curious if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what's your church like? Would he go to an event? Would he go to a building? I mean, I'm sure those things are included because they meet in certain spaces and they certainly have events together. But if you were to ask Jesus, what's your church like? He would take a snapshot of this and he would show it to his friends. Because church isn't just merely a building. It's not simply an event. Those things are part of it for sure, and this, in fact, is an extremely important part of it. We're going to talk in detail about why it is we do this in this way next week. It's certainly significant. But Jesus would most certainly answer his church, what is it like, by his people. And so today, what I want to think with you about is, what is the church really? What is it really? What do we mean when we just say a people? What kind of people are we talking about here? Then why does it matter that we actually engage in this sort of community? Because we're going to be talking about how tight-knit, how loving, how generous, how giving a community like this should be. And it's going to be costly, so why bother with it? And then lastly, I want to get into the weeds with you a little bit about the city church and how it is that we function and operate and our hopes for for you as you see me and our leaders um, kind of covenanting with one another and, and how it is that we're going to grow together. So let's think first of all about what the church actually is. And if you look back, you can see Paul uses a couple metaphors here to speak of the church or to speak of this people, this community. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. He goes on and he says, the body 
And then he goes on and he says, called and call again. So in here you find Paul speaking about the church, the community of people, as a called people. So this is extremely significant. Notice how many times he uses this term, call or calling or called. He uses it over and over again to let you know that you are a called people, and that's extremely significant. But he also uses this metaphor of the body. If you carry on farther into the passage, he uses the body, the body, the body three times later in the, in the passage as well. And so I want to think with you about the church in just these two particular ways. And so what does it mean to be the called, and what does it mean to be the body? Well, the first thing I want to point out in terms of what it means to be the called is to actually have the life of the Trinity in us. Right? So look back as he goes on. He says, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, now check this out, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul's going out of his way here to speak to the significance of this community, that there's something very special about this community that is unlike any other group of people, right? You might join the Rotary Club, you might do some bird watching club, I don't know, whatever it is that you do, whatever kind of club that you're a part of. There's something about this group of people that has the ability to do something that no other group of people on the planet has the ability to do. And the reason is because they have the life of the Trinity in them. That's what he's getting at here. The God, the God is in all of you. Now think of this, because this is really important. I think many of us think of church sort of like this sack of marbles. I've never actually played marbles. I really don't even know how to play marbles. But I bought this for an illustration. So some lucky kid's gonna get a sack of marbles after this, because I don't know what to do with them. But if you think about these marbles, right, they're all in this bag, and you can tell that they're different. They're different in color. There's a couple different sizes, right? And they're all joined together, of course, right? They're, they're kind of connected as they're in this bag. And that's fantastic. It's great that the marbles gather together. Human beings gathering together is awesome. Like I said, us gathering together on a Sunday, awesome. Think of this bag kind of as the building. We get together and we do this thing, right? But if I dump this out, these, these marbles are not like vitally connected to each other. They can simply just go on their way. They were sure in the bag together, maybe when you're playing the game together, and that's fantastic, but they're not vitally connected. They're, they're still just kind of individuals. But if you were to think of the church more the way that Jesus does, you would think more like grapes. Grapes are vitally connected. There's something flowing through this stem that touches every single grape. And sometimes, certainly, grapes look very much alike. That's where the analogy kind of runs down, because it's supposed to be diverse. But the idea is that they are vitally connected. You rip one off and it actually impacts the rest of them, unlike marbles. You take one out, it's not that big of a deal. But you pull a grape off, it actually matters to the rest of the vine. And when Jesus is speaking about his church and when Paul's speaking about his church here, what they're talking about is there's this vitality running through this community that is different than any other community. This thing that unites you all together in a way that is unlike any other kind of community. And therefore, there's a specific ability or power to this community. And so if you look back with me, notice again, he says, the calling, the called, the called, and call again. So this called people has the Trinity running through them. And because of that, has this extraordinary ability to do something. That's what this idea of called is really all about. I wouldn't be surprised if most of us, when we think about called, we tend to go to called out of something, right? Called out of the darkness, you're called out of brokenness, you're called out of sin, you're called out of death. And those are all true, and those are statements in the New Testament for sure. But here, what Paul's talking about, and really in a bunch of other places when he talks about calling, it's not necessarily just from something, it's to something. 
that there's something future looking, that you're to walk in the call to which you've been called to fulfill the calling. In other words, there's a purpose down there. So sure, you've been called out of something, but you're called people into something. You notice that Paul here, as he's thinking of this, certainly would be grabbing hold of the entire story of God and how God had a called people to do something. All the way back in the book of Genesis, you find God calling Abraham, and then through Abraham, calling the nation Israel, and then every once in a while, calling a particular person to do something. And certainly this is in Paul's mind, because this is the way that God called people to do something. So look back with me in Genesis, you find the calling of Abram. If you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, it's totally fine. I just want you to see how it is that God is pushing forward something as he calls. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. So he calls him out, calls him out of that. But look it, go to the land that I will show you. And here's what I'm gonna do as you go. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as Abraham's called, He's called to be a part of something. There's something future that he's called into, right? Now, after Abraham has Isaac, he has Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and the nation Israel becomes the called people, the called for a purpose, not just out of Egypt, but called for something. And so if you look in the book of Exodus, here's how God speaks of his people. So while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, and he said this, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You see this, he calls them out of Egypt, but into something, to be this particular people, this set-apart people who are going to fulfill this whole call that was to Abraham, a blessing to all of the families of the world. When Jesus steps onto the scene, this is exactly the way that he begins to speak about his people. When Jesus steps onto the scene, one of the first things that Jesus teaches is in the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to speak about the Beatitudes, right? You familiar with blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are, right? And he goes on and on and on. This idea of blessing is found throughout the scriptures. Every time God gives a covenant, he blesses, right? So even with Adam in the very beginning, he blesses him. He says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, Adam is a blessed person. He carries on even with Noah after, after the flood. He says to Noah, be fruitful and multiply, and he blesses him. And then he blesses Israel. God is constantly blessing. And as he blesses, he's saying, you're my covenant people. You have an ability. There's something about you that's special, that's different, that's extraordinary. So when Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount, and he gives all these blessings right after this, he says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, making him known in the world. Or later on when Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they go, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say just one of the prophets. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am, right? And here's how the story carries on. Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This word, ecclesia, is the called out ones. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice this, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, gates don't move. So this actually has to do with the movement of the church pushing back darkness. And so there's this people who are the light. 
They're the blessed ones. They're the covenant ones. They're this people who have the Trinity running through them so that they're able to do something that's absolutely extraordinary. Paul the Apostle will pick up this language, speaking about the nation Israel and even the church, and notice what he says in Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, something in the future, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He destined them to be conformed to the image of his son. He's going to do something. He's determined it already. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Notice what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that those who are called, those who are part of this special called people, they are destined for glory. That's what he's saying. So think of this, right? If you're going to board an airplane, that airplane already has a destination in mind. Right? There's, there's, there are some things that could detour it, but, but the, it will get there. Like, that's kind of the idea I'm going with here, right? Now they just all fall apart. But it will get there. If you get on that plane, you're going there. What he's saying here is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are destined for glory. And if you're the church, you are the blessed people who can bring his kingdom into the world. Right? So because we have the Trinity flowing through us and in us, we have this extraordinary ability to do something that no other community, no other group of people can do. But that in mind, he also goes on and he speaks of us as the body. Look back with me. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says there's one body. He says for building up the body of Christ. He says from whom the whole body is joined and held together and then makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Body, 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 all over the place. Um, And it's not even just here. It's also in the rest of the New Testament, this idea of the body. But what is this really all about? Well, notice the first thing that Paul wants the people who are part of the body to understand. And that is that they are attached to a head. Right? So look at it as he goes on. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So what does it mean to be the body? Well, the first thing that it means is it means to be attached to the head. And that means that that's where we find all of our marching orders, right? So this idea of head is used uh, a few other times in the New Testament. And as it's used, um, specifically speaking to Christ, there's kind of two ways in which it's used. The first has to do with the first or the beginning, right? So the head goes first, right? But also it has to do with the example of or the leadership of, right? And so when you're thinking about Jesus as the head and attaching yourself to him because you're part of the body, what you're thinking about is you're, you're always looking to him as the one who started this thing, right? And also the one who brings forth this thing. So Jesus enters in, Paul speaks of him as the first fruits. And so we look at him as having started this new kingdom and we go, yes, he is Lord. But how does he bring his kingdom? What's his example? I'll just look through the life of Jesus. I mean, the life of Jesus is filled with generosity. It's filled with patience and kindness and compassion. It's filled with sympathy. It's filled with love. I mean, even to the point where he is nailed to a cross, he looks down at his enemies and he pleads for their forgiveness. Like this is the way of Jesus. So to be a part of the body is to be attached to that head, which means we see him going first, leading the way, and then setting forth an example. But with that in mind, we also need to see that we each play a part And so he carries on, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's speaking now about how it is that you, sure, as an individual, you are attached to the head, which is Jesus, but don't stop there. You're not just an individual attached to the head, which is Jesus. You, by the nature of being attached to the head, are also attached to the body. 
A few weeks ago, um, maybe it was even last week, I mentioned that by the very nature of calling God Father, that means that you call all of his followers brother and sister. It's not one happens and then the other. As soon as you're adopted into the family of God, you get a whole new family, whether you like it or not. <laughs> like, you're a part of it, right? And it's the same even with this analogy that has to do with the body. The moment you accept Christ as your head, you become a part of something. You're inextricably connected to it, which means you need it and it needs you. Not just the head, not just you alone with the head, but you as part of the body. It needs you and you need it. Paul always speaks of this idea of body in terms of gift or what it is that you bring to this thing. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here's what he says. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. And now notice this. Notice the diversity that he plays out. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So he's recognizing that you're a part of a body that is diverse in its very nature. In fact, if you carry on right before this, he says this. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And notice what they're for. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The gifts of the spirit are actually for your brothers and sisters, for the rest of the body, not for self. So for two, one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. That's really helpful when you're just sitting by yourself, utterance of wisdom. You're like, dang, I'm brilliant today, right? No, it's for other people. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one spirit and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, but for the purpose of the body. We're going to do a, a class on spiritual gifts where we'll unpack most of those things um, in the beginning of November. It's a Monday night. If you'd like to come, by all means, uh, come join. Um, and we'll unpack some of that and help you to understand what they are, but also hopefully maybe even what yours are or how you can sort of learn what they are. But here, what I, want to, what I want us to see is the diversity in this is absolutely critical, right? So he mentions Jews or Greeks. He mentions here all of these different gifts, but we're all part of the same body. He's letting us in on this because it is so crucial for the body to accomplish the purpose for which it's been brought forth. So we have the Trinity flowing through us, have an extraordinary ability. How do we actually do it? Well, you become a part of the body and you start seeing how it is that this body can function to do that which it's been called to do, right? And so with this, we always got to keep in mind that you have something to offer. You got to keep in mind that you have something. It's, there's not like professional Christians and then like JV. Like that's not how it works, right? Every single follower of Jesus has something to offer to the body. Just think, about, just think about different personalities even. Think about different demeanors, right? When you think about the church and what's the church meant to do? Well, the church is meant to seek and to save the lost. The church is meant to be generous and to help those who are in need. The church is meant to bear each other's burdens. The church is meant to like carry on all of these different things that you see the church is meant to do. And I'll bet you some of those things you don't want to do at all and some of the other things you really want to do. And so you see this sometimes, I see this all the time, like just by the nature of having, you know, 100 plus people or something in a community. You get people who go, you know why we're not reaching those people next door? And they go, here, let me tell you why. It's because nobody has any vision. They don't have any clarity. Like there's no systems in place to just like get on board and, and do it. Like, true. You know, somebody else, you know why we don't reach those people next door? 
No, I don't know why we don't understand. Because they don't care about them. There's nobody sympathetic enough to actually want to go and like meet the needs of those people next door. Okay, okay. You want to know what's wrong with this church? We know why we don't meet the people over there, you know? And then they'll say, well, nobody really cares about their eternal security and like where it is that they're going to spend the rest of their, their future after they die, you know? And, and, and so you've got these people who are con- deeply concerned about systems. People are deeply concerned about compassion. People are deeply concerned about evangelism. And they're all fantastic. They're all actually right. And when they begin to think about how it is that we can pursue meeting those people, we should be willing to accept the fact that there's going to be some tension. Some people are going to think it should be done this way. Some people are think this way. Some people think we need to emphasize more of this. Some people more of this. And that's fantastic. That's actually good, right? So I don't know if, if this is the case with you, but I've seen this in the past, not, not necessarily with our church, but where people will, will back away from, from a church because they're not doing something that they want it to do. To which I would respond, do it. Like, just do it. You, you can be a part of it. You could totally be a part of it. You don't, you don't need to... The, you know, the professionals to, to do it. Like, you're, you're a part of this. Like, you, can, you have something to bring to this thing. And, and also, not just, not just do you have something to bring, you have something very specific even to bring. Something that, like, you were made in such a way, Paul earlier in Ephesians, he says, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to walk in the things that he has created you to walk in. Which, if those are your things, those are my things. And so we're all needed in order to make this thing move forward. And so he's inviting us into this body, which is an amazing thing. Okay, so that being said, why does this actually matter? Why does it matter that we engage with this sort of commitment and this sort of community? And I want to say a couple things. The first has to do with equipping of the saints. This, the equipping of the saints can't happen apart from the body, is what Paul is saying here. So it's extremely significant along those lines. But also... This is the reason for which, or at least one of the many reasons for which Jesus died. Like he actually died to make a body and to bring forth his kingdom through that body. So first it matters for the equipping of the saints. If you look back with me, here's what he says. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This word urge is actually the same root where we get the the term for the spirit of God, the perichalesis, the perichaleo. He's saying here that I'm urging you, I'm compelling you the same way that the spirit works, which is bringing life, right? He raised Jesus from the dead by the power of the spirit. He brings forth creation. He's urging, I'm urging you to be a part of this thing. Why? Look forward. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. And then he goes on, and at the end he says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So to grow in love, if you're just going to take what Paul's saying here, to grow in love is basically impossible apart from the deep commitment into a body of believers. The growing up in love is impossible apart from this sort of commitment. And your own equipping of being able to use your gifts and fulfill your own personal purpose as well as the church's purpose is impossible apart from this sort of commitment. So look at as he carries on. Let me show you this. He carries on and he says, the apostles, prophets, teachers, right? And he says, here's the reason. Till we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, again, impossible apart from being deeply committed to a body and then to mature manhood, Deep, it's impossible apart from deep commitment to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and so that we may no longer be children. 
Now just think about this for a second, right? Paul just said, you're a bunch of babies. <laughs> but he included himself. Did you catch that? So that we may no longer be children. Paul doesn't think of himself here as like grade A Christian having arrived to maturity. He thinks of himself even the same way as he sees everybody, that we are all like children, able to be tossed to and fro, he'll carry on, by every wind of doctrine and schemes of evil people, he says. And so children are, children are in need, right? And Paul recognizes himself as one. Paul the apostle recognizes himself as one who needs equippers around him. Like, that's astonishing. If Paul recognizes that, how much more so every single one of us? We are very much like children tossed to and fro. I mean, just think about your own life, the highs and the lows. Think about the way that you think about life. I mean, how, have you gone a whole day? Forget that. Have you gone a whole hour with just focus on the goodness of God and being able to live that out? No, you know why? Because you're a child to some degree. You know, children, children have a really hard time paying attention, right? They have a really hard time with the idea of a long obedience in the same direction, right? They have a really hard time. They want things right now, right? They want it snappy. This is why if you ever watch, if you watch TV now, but especially if you watch cartoons, you're never going to notice a screenshot for longer than seven seconds. You ever notice this? Because they have to change the angle. Because you're not paying attention, right? You, you, need some, you need some constant change. And this can be the case for many of us followers of Jesus. We're always looking for that next thing. We're always looking for more. We, it's got to be bigger, brighter, faster, whatever. And the idea of a long obedience in the same direction, like the real commitment where when you don't even feel like it, you still do what you're supposed to do because you're committed to the people around you. Like that is hard, hard work. And without having people around us, we will not continue down that path. We'll be like children. We'll just go somewhere else. We'll just find something else. Listen, I know this actually quite personally. Last week, well, the week before, actually, um, I just had a really tough week. I, I just um, just made some mistakes in, in conversations and, and uh, just caused some rift between people, myself, um, family stuff, you know, and was just really discouraged. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I really don't even think I'm qualified to be, preaching and I, maybe I should just quit. And I really like, I was, I mean, one day in particular was really heavy. I, I went on monster.com and I started looking for jobs. <laughs> Not really, but I mean, <laughs> I was like, you know what though, I don't. And then last week I was doing the Jenga thing. If you were here and we were talking about the kingdom of God and we were talking about what it means and looks like to be in Springfield. And right after church, Edward Yusefi, most of you probably know Edward. If you don't, he'll be around and you'll know him. Trust me. <laughs> he comes up to me and he just looks at me right in the face and he had no idea. He just looks at me right in the face and he says, don't quit, Anthony. Like with tears in his eyes. I was like, man, I was just like a little kid getting off track and here he comes and just, I needed the equipping. We all need the equipping, whether it looks like encouragement, whether it looks like somebody actually doing a task, but we all are like children tossed to and fro. And here what he's saying is you get to be a part of that, not just as the one who needs it, but as the one who gives it. Like you are that person for somebody probably today. In fact, I can almost guarantee it. Today, you are that person for somebody. You're a part of the body that that person needs. And so as we have this trinity inside of us, we have this ability to bring forth the kingdom of God so long as we play a part 
in this body, but it's going to require deep involvement. Look at what he says. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Look at this. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Building itself up in love, right, that requires deep involvement. It requires a deep commitment to the rest of the body. You can't just build up in love without there being some kind of deep commitment. And so what he wants here, right, is for this body to really look like Jesus. But that requires some effort. It requires some energy. It requires some engagement. It requires some transparency. It requires working through trust issues. It requires opening yourself up to let people know what your needs are. It requires you actually stepping in when you can meet the need. Like there's so much going on here in order for this to happen, for love to be on display. And what is this love on display that this deep commitment provides? Well, if you look back at the beginning of the passage, he says this. And notice how, how necessary it is to be in other people's lives for this. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And now notice, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. So back to the, the joke I, I made with wisdom, you can't be humble on your own. You can't be patient on your own. You can't bear somebody's burdens on your own. Like all of these things actually require deep involvement. So learning humility, learning patience, and bearing each other's burdens is what creates this body that looks like love, that looks like Jesus. And so this all requires a deep commitment. And what that means then, what that means for us as a community of Jesus followers is that this can't be it. And what I mean by that is, is this. Like, this is extremely significant, like I said. We're going to talk about why it is we do this and even why it is that we have this particular space in this particular location. Because this, what we do on Sundays, is deeply important. But if this is all you know in terms of what it looks like to following, follow Jesus, it's just not going to get you to the place where he wants you to be. It's just not. It's just not going to be enough. He's calling us to be far more engaged with each other than, than just this. So as we move forward in our, in our vision for the church, like we're starting to reform the language that we use in terms of what it is that we do. So the city church is not just an event. The city church is not just a building. And when it comes to Sundays, we want to start talking about Sundays as a complement to or a tool to growing in Christ as individuals and as a community. So this is deeply important because it's a tool that God has given to us and we want to invest time and energy in this tool because we believe that this tool is very helpful and beneficial. But it's not the end. This is not the end. This is a means to an end. And so as you think about what, and, and involve yourself on Sundays for sure. In fact, I would, I, I would really encourage you to sign up to volunteer in some capacity because that's how you actually bear burdens with people. That's how you get to know people, even serving alongside them would really encourage that. But this can't be it. This has to be a means to another end. And so engage yourself in this, but see it for what, it's, what it really is, which is extremely worthwhile. Don't hear me, don't come to church next Sunday. That's not what I said. <laughs> but see it for what it is. There's something that this thing points to. But the second reason as to why this matters is, as I mentioned, Jesus died for this. Notice what, what Paul says in the middle here. This is probably the passage that when I started reading it, you were like, whatever, and then you checked back in when it all made sense. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and you're like, well, of course it says this. When he ascended on a high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Ah, obviously, What's he talking about? And then he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended in the lower regions, the earth? Of course, that makes complete sense, Paul. 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What is going on here? In the midst of Paul inviting us into this opportunity to have the Trinity flowing through us and put forth this amazing body of love that exemplifies Jesus in his kingdom, he throws this thing right in the middle here, which has all to do with what it is that Jesus did when he came and when he ascended and everything in between. So Paul here is quoting from, quoting from the Old Testament, and what he's referring to is the way that they used to fight these ancient battles and what would happen after a victory. So after a victory of, an, of, of a battle, the king right, would, would take everything that was, that was received from that other nation, country, land, whatever, and this is where it kind of falls apart because Jesus didn't dominate and steal from people or something. But the idea was that the king would take over and then he would take everything that was there and he would distribute it amongst his people. He would give all the gifts to the, to the people, right? And what's going on here is Paul is saying that's precisely what Jesus did. When Jesus entered into this broken and fallen world, this dark place, what Jesus did was as king, he conquered Satan, sin, and death. And everything that Satan, sin, and death wants to steal from you, he stole back. And now he's giving it to you. In other words, there's there's no sin, there's no death, and there is no Satan that can restrict you from accomplishing the purpose for which you've been created and accomplishing the purpose for which this church exists. There's nothing that can stop. Nothing. That's what he did in conquering death. He said, it's a fact. The gates of hell will not prevail against his people. That's what he says. And so if we disengage, listen, this is not a guilt trip at all, but you're missing out on why Jesus died and rose. Like, that's a big deal. You don't want to miss out on that. Why would you want to miss out on that? Like, that's amazing. So for, for us as a church, like, I want to just let you in on some of the details here. For, for us as a community, myself and, and the other kind of leadership team, which has multiple circles to it because some people serve on Sundays, other people serve more in pastoral care and stuff. But when I'm talking about the leadership team, today I'm talking mostly about the pastoral care team, which if you guys want to come up, I don't know who's here, Matt, John, um, Tracy. Jan's not here. Jan Wilson's part of it too. Um, you're just going to stand here and look pretty, which you're really good at. So, Not John. He grew his beard out again. <laughs> Tracy leads, leads kids. Um, but this team, it's not just about what, what we do on Sunday mornings. Like This team, along with Jan, we get together every single Friday morning, and, uh, and we pray together for a good amount of time, and then we just talk through like how, providing wisdom and encouragement for each other, talking through how it is that we can shepherd this body well. And uh, over the last several months, we've been talking very specifically about what it is we think you should be able to expect from us. We wanna be very clear about how it is that we plan to lead this thing that I just told you we're supposed to be deeply committed to. If I'm asking that of you, then we should certainly be doing this. And so we started talking through what does this mean and look like for us so that we can not just model it, but we want to be a part of this thing, right? So we started laying out expectations that we wanted to have for each other. And we talked through um, simple things like spiritual disciplines on our own. So asking each other how we're actually doing in reading the scriptures and in prayer. Um, Things that are more outgoing, like how are we actually doing in hospitality, like loving our neighbor well? How can we really bear each other's burdens? How can we hold each other accountable? And so we went through this list and we came up with, okay, here's what we're going to talk about every time we get together, because we want to encourage each other and grow into this love body that, that Paul's talking about here. And so we made these expectations for ourselves, and then we started to say, well, what can we then, you guys can sit down. Just looking. Good, jo- good job looking pretty. Um, they didn't even do anything. What are you clapping for? 
You never clap for me. <laughs> I'm blushing. Um, you made me forget where I was going. Oh yeah, expectations for you. So, so as we thought about this with ourselves, we don't just want to model it, we do actually want to grow, but how can we help you engage and, and by that like lay out for you some ways in which you can engage with us so that you can also grow as well. And so um, we, don't, we don't want to call these like expectations. We, we're really hoping to call them encouragements or hopes for you. And for us, th- that list seems pretty simple. It's, it's as simple as what I think Paul lays out in the New Testament, which are things like serving, things like generosity, things like um, actually showing up when you say that you will, things like just simple commitment things, right? The willingness to grow in trust and in transparency. And for us, this happens primarily in small groups, right? In, in gospel communities. And so we really, really, really want to our team specifically invest a ton into gospel community leaders so that they can invest a ton into their gospel communities. So we're gonna talk about that in a couple weeks too as to how it is that we're gonna do that. If you want to join in in leading one or grow in terms of leading one and what that could actually look like for you, would love to have you be a part. So we're doing, um, we're doing a training session in the beginning of, or the end of November as well. Whether you want to be one now or you just see it down the road, just how it is that you can engage in helping people grow in Christ. Um, or even if you're just, you're just curious like what those things are really all about. We want you to be a part of that. As I mentioned, the spiritual gifts test, these things are, uh, not test, um, class. Yeah, I'm not going to test you on your spiritual gifts. (laughs) Um, But this is how you can like learn more about yourself and how it is that you can be engaged. Um, With that as well, for the next few weeks, um, our our Sunday leaders, um, so Matt who leads AV, John Music, uh, Matt Whitley who leads facilities, Tracy leads kids, Ben who leads hospitality, um, they're all going to be downstairs just hounding you trying to get you to serve. Because what we do here, even though I said like it's not the most important thing, there are tremendous opportunities to be hospitable, to be loving, to learn about who is a part of your own church community as you serve alongside them. Um, and so we will train you, but certainly sign up for something. The last thing I want to say has to do with money. I'll leave it to the end. <laughs> no, anybody leaving? Sit down. Everybody sit down. No, listen. Um, a number of months ago, we mentioned to you that that uh, the church was having a little bit of a financial issue. Um, not in the sense where we were needing to close the doors or anything like that, and we're not even in that scenario right now. But we are kind of in a scenario where if somebody asked us for something because they were in need, where it, it's a bit difficult for us to actually provide that. And we, act- we want that to be one of the primary things that we do. Right? We want to actually care less about the facility and care less about my salary. We want to care most about when people are in need bearing those burdens. And right now, we, just, we don't have the capacity to meet many needs. And so it comes down to what are we going to do with the space, which we're willing to rent it out, and so we're, we're looking down that road, or Anthony takes a pay cut, and we talked about that too. But here's the deal. If you consider the city church home and family, and you don't currently give at all, I would just encourage you. Like, you'd be surprised what putting your money into something will do to your heart. I know oftentimes people will say, well, you shouldn't really give unless you feel like it. Guess what? You're never going to give then because you're never going to feel like it. (laughs) Nobody feels like giving away their money. (laughs) Well, some weirdos do, but most people don't. But, But you'd be surprised when you actually commit to something, you find your heart getting into that thing. 
you find yourself being more involved, wanting to be a part of it, right? And so I would just encourage, if you don't currently, if you do, if you could consider even just a little bit more so that we might be able to help. Like I said, we're, we're gonna do our best to think about the building and to think about salaries. Those are the two primary things that money gets spent on because we really want the money going to ministry. We really want it as much as we possibly can going to meet the needs of the saints and those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. That's where we want it to go. And so if you would just consider that. That said, I hate ending a sermon like that. This is lame, right? So um, Jesus died and he rose. And <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I put it in the middle there, but anyways. We're gonna <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite us into, uh, into a time of worship where we get to respond, um, recognizing everything that God has given to us, how good he is through communion, through singing, through giving. And so let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your infinite grace, your infinite love, your infinite kindness and compassion. Thank you for the security of our salvation, our freedom. Thank you for life. And not just life in in terms of when this is over, like we get to know that it doesn't end, but even life right now, that we can experience true joy as we engage with you and with each other, and we ask that you would help us to do that. Wherever we're at on the spectrum of, of engagement in this body or even some other body, help us to give ourselves just a little bit more. Give us the strength by your spirit to be more transparent, to be more trusting. Help us by your spirit to be more generous and to be more kind. And God, I pray that this work that you've started here in this community, she would just keep it, keep it moving. It's so exciting to be a part of, and I pray that you would keep giving us all that that kind of excitement to see what you might do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.